0: Well, it seems that deep within the soul of most every person, every man, every woman, that there lies a natural desire to be more than they are. And that's the scripture that we'll be studying here today involving the disciples. They were talking about which one of them was the greatest. And again, it seems that resident within the soul of most every person, Man or woman, there is this desire to be more than we are, to be significant, and to not only control our own circumstances, but also to influence and to even control the actions and behaviors of other people. That's one of the most popular words on our internet today, influencer. We want to be that person. And here in this Passage in Luke chapter 9 that we're going to study. Jesus reveals to us that yes, those same basic human desires and emotions were present within His disciples. It seems that His disciples were still under this mistaken belief and hope that Jesus would soon be setting up His majestic kingdom here on the earth. And they envisioned themselves as being in high positions of authority and leadership within his earthly government. And they disputed among themselves about which one of them would be in the highest position. Let's listen to Jesus' instructions about this matter. It's in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 46. Listen to these words Then a dispute arose among them, the disciples. As to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. He who is least among you will be great. Now let me say all of this again that it seems common within our desires of most every person to be more than we are, to be significant, to be that one that makes those decisions. Now, while, yes, there are quieter ones among us, meeker souls among us, and it would seem that they don't desire, and they would actually deny that they desire to be significant. So theirs is not as obvious, but let me assure you that each and every person has that desire. It's resident within all of us. And folks, listen, although those desires and ambitions can be fraught with many possibilities of wrong behavior and sin, and we see that, and especially they can be fraught with this sin of pride, the attribute of leadership itself is not a bad or a wrong thing. The attribute of leadership is not in itself a bad or a wrong thing. In the book of Romans chapter 12, leadership is named there as one of those special spiritual gifts that God gives to us. And yes, though they were arguing about it in this passage, leadership would be required of each one of these disciples. The 11 of them plus the Apostle Paul would later on become leaders in their church, or in many churches. So then again, these compelling desires to lead, they're not always a bad or a wrong thing. Leadership is a good and very necessary element of daily life. And that's so in every venue, whether it be within our families, within our workplaces, within our local communities, and nationally. But again, while... These desires for leadership are often good and very necessary. As we can see, that's taking place here with these disciples. When that desire is misapplied, when that desire is misused, it can bring about difficulty and it can bring about strife. And it does. You and I can see clearly all the difficulties and the strife that's taking place all throughout the fabric of this modern American culture of ours, all over our land. And one of the most prominent and demanding upheavals that is currently taking place within our American culture can be seen in what this culture calls woke, W-O-K-E, woke. And also in a new developed set of terms called D-E-I, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the implied meaning of this word woke is that within... Certain groups of our citizenry, primarily belonging to the ethnic groups other than white Americans, who have been heretofore unable to consider themselves as being important, they have now awoken, awoken to the desire to be more and greater than they perceive themselves to be. And they're making demands, big and bold demands, and often with violent behavior. And then also while this diversity, equity, and inclusion movement includes those ethnic groups, it also then includes the LBGTQ segment of our culture. All of them together are demanding their recognition and approval, their idea, their concept of greatness. They're doing it at all costs, even to the exclusion of all the rest of our society. And all of that, folks, is described well for us in the latter part of Romans chapter 1. There the Lord talks about how so much of that will take us down these steps of reprobation. And those words are in Romans chapter 1, they also include one other segment of our citizenry. The latter part of that chapter, there are people also who are involved, but they stand to the side and they give hearty approval to those who are partaking in all of this that being our politicians, our Hollywood celebrities, our news media, and others like them. Now may I say again, that leadership itself is a good and noble attribute. But when it's wrongly used, it can be destructive. And the sin of pride, pride, is most often at the heart of those destructive behaviors and activities. Now, here in this passage that we'll study today, Jesus presents us with some of those same basic desires of men's heart that's being experienced there by his disciples. Now, what they were experiencing is far different than what we are talking about here in our American culture. But still, at the heart of all of it is this destructive side of pride. It's right at the foundational core of it all. And again, in these words of Scripture, it's clear that the disciples were still under this mistaken impression that they were going to be high-ranking members of Jesus' new kingdom that He would set up here on this earth. And they were disputing among themselves as to who would be in those highest of positions. Let me reread this for us so that we can go back to where we were. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. Now as we consider these precious words, we need to remind ourselves That Jesus always knows the thoughts that are in each person's mind. And that was so with his beloved disciples. He knew what each one of them was thinking at that moment. And he knew the motivations within their hearts that provoked those arguments. And folks, listen. You and I need to always remember that the same thing is taking place with each one of us at every moment of every day. It's taking place right now within your mind and your heart. The Lord Jesus knows exactly what each one of us is thinking right now. And He knows what the motivations of our hearts are. We can't hide that sort of thing from Him. So He knew what was in His disciples' hearts. And He knows what's in our hearts. And it doesn't matter what comes out of our mouth. It doesn't matter what we say. Jesus knows the real truth of our motives of our thoughts. Now again. Leadership. Leadership is so very important. And when God endows us with that gift. That spiritual gift for use. Perhaps in ministry. Sometimes he will give us talents. That will help us in the workplace. So he's going to endow us with opportunities for leadership. But we really do need to know how to use it. And why is that so? And I think each of us who have had any employment in our life, we know that the nature of leadership is a double-edged sword. And that sword can quickly swing either direction depending on the lack of a godly character in the one using it or the strength of the godly character in that person holding that sword. If that person has a good and pure heart before the Lord, and wants to achieve that position of leadership so that they can benefit others, then all will go well. All will go well. But when that sword is in the hands of a person who does not have a good and pure heart, then its works prove to be destructive. And from these scriptures, we know that the most desirable form of leadership is the kind that's benevolent and humble. That always pursues the benefit of others and never grasps for the advantage for self. But folks, as Jesus knew well and as he perceived within the hearts of his disciples, the desire for greatness is compelling. It's demanding and it can go astray even within the hearts of the most righteous of men and women. Now here in this group of followers were men who were called of God into the very highest order of service. Men who were walking daily with the Lord Jesus. They were being discipled by him and learning the deepest and most intimate truths of God. But here as Jesus taught these men, he knew very well all the possibilities that resided within their hearts. He knew that unless his teachings were received into hearts that were humble and contrite, then the real meaning and the real purpose of God's truths would be ineffectual and they'd be lost. And as he perceived these men arguing about which of them would be greatest, Jesus knew that the hearts of these dear devoted followers were still not ready, still not prepared for the very demanding life that lay just ahead of them. You see, he's on his way to Jerusalem now to be crucified. And with their arguing amongst themselves, he knew that they were still not ready, still not prepared for that demanding life that lay ahead of them as they then would go forward and build and lead the new church. By placing these words before you and me, Jesus is asking us to be willing to examine our own hearts. He said, look at these disciples and look at your own heart. He wants us to examine our own hearts, to question ourselves if we are ready, if we are prepared to receive the deeper, more intimate truths of God and the mission that He has laid out in front of us. And with these words, Jesus is saying to us, you need to be very careful of this temptation to think more of yourself than you are. He's saying to you and me, humility and not pride. Is the pathway to truth. And without genuine humility, truth will lose its power. That's why Jesus put humility at the forefront of all the many things that He wants each of us to learn from Him. Listen to these words in chapter 11 of Matthew. And please know as I read these, that while these words give gentle assurance, they are far more than that. They are demanding an eternal Listen, he calls to us saying, Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Listen, he says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Did you note in those words that Jesus is giving us the first order of discipleship that you and I need to embrace? The first order of discipleship. And it's not to learn... Deep theological doctrine. Yes, we have to do that. But that's not what he says is the first order. And it's not to learn methods of church building or those other things that we get caught up in as we serve within the church. The first order of discipleship, listen, is accepting a life and a lifestyle that's based on and filled with humility. The first order of discipleship is accepting a life and a lifestyle that's based on and filled with humility. As I've said to us on other occasions, these words that Jesus is saying here, meek and lowly in heart, they express two forms of humility. One, the humility that brings ourself lower and esteems others better than ourselves. The other form of humility expresses a humility that extends further, even to the point of being willing to suffer humiliation so that others might gain. The Lord Jesus did that. He suffered humiliation so that others might gain. Listen to these words again. Come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. These words, folks, they express perfect humility. The kind of humility that the disciples would need if they were going to move on forward and if they were going to be trusted to carry forward the gospel of salvation as Jesus was asking them to do. in those beginning days of learning and ministry, these disciples were enthusiastic. Yes, they were enthusiastic. They were filled with all sorts of zeal. They were daily watching the Lord Jesus do mighty and powerful things, supernatural things, healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and two fish. And they themselves, these disciples, they've been given special supernatural abilities. As they went out on their missionary journey, they were able to heal the sick and they were able to cast out demons. So they were all excited about what they would be doing and the reality that Jesus truly was this Messiah was beginning to settle into their minds and then along with that came this imagination of what their personal role might be in that kingdom that Jesus was setting up and they got caught up in it and their imagination ran strong and astray and that kind of imagination is a very real and present danger for any person that's given knowledge and authority and leadership. We see that take place in our secular power structures, our governments, our businesses. Without realizing what's taking place, pride can cause corruption to creep into an otherwise excellent circumstance. Now, a question with these disciples, what would be the provocation, those sly little foxes that would find their way into an otherwise perfect setting of discipleship and that could cause these disciples to switch their focus from the greatness of God to their own greatness? The answer to that question is at least twofold, probably more. But the first being that those kinds of desires are fundamental to our sinful nature, your nature, my nature. Every man and every woman is born into this world With a sinful nature that's subject to that kind of temptation. That temptation of pride. And resident within each and every soul. No matter how young or how old. Is this desire to be better than we are. And also to be better than the next person. And so intermingled with our own corrupt desires. Is this ever present element of pride. But also. Also, the second reason that these disciples would start to go astray is that within every one of these opportunities, we find the presence of our enemy, the devil. Now, while he's not specifically mentioned in these words, his involvement has to be accepted as a given condition. And why? Why would we do that? Some would say, well, is not our own sin nature powerful enough to carry us into that kind of temptation? And yes, it is. But listen, we must never discount the presence and the activity of Satan. As we look at this particular circumstance, we can easily see the circumstantial evidence, the fingerprints of Satan all over these words that are being spoken here by the disciples. What is the sin that these dear men were getting caught up in? It's exactly the same sin that Satan himself was caught up in When he was cast out of heaven. The sin of pride. And the desire to be the greatest. Read Isaiah chapter 14. The exact same circumstance. The exact same sin. And also is this not the same sin that Eve and Adam got caught up in there in the Garden of Eden. Wanting to be more than they were. Equality with and eventual superiority over the kingdom of God. Is the ultimate quest of Satan, folks. He would be above every creature. And to add validation to his claims and his efforts, he continually then tries to drag us, as many of us as he can, angels and people like these disciples, people like you and me. He drags us in to follow him. And he is so subtly but powerfully successful in his efforts. Here... And on other occasions, we can easily see how He reached into the minds of these otherwise devout disciples and enticed them. Again, ambition and pride are a natural part of our sinful nature. Every man and every woman. It comes resident within us at birth. We are not born with goodness in us. Scripture tells us clearly that we're born with a sin nature. And as we grow... That's in nature, and the elements of it, pride and ambition, they grow and they grow exponentially. And that's so in these elements of leadership. And when it gets involved in leadership that we're involved in, it can be destructive. Folks, I do fear for those who cry out for greatness. I fear for those who want so badly to be great. I'm of the age that I can recall Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. For those that would remember him and during his days of success, he would declare over and over and over again that he was the greatest. Use that exact word. He would say, I am the greatest. And I recall on one occasion at least that he said, I am greater than Jesus Christ. Folks, it wasn't long after that. It wasn't long after he said that, at the young age of 42, he was struck down with Parkinson's disease and it rendered him helpless and he became a mumbling, fumbling, bumbling shell of a man, barely able to walk, barely able to talk, all the remaining days of his life. So I fear for those who would demand greatness. And I do fear for this woke generation of people and these diversity equity and inclusion, LGBTQ people who are right now, they're crying out violently, demanding that they be elevated to their own idea of greatness, demanding that we consider them greater than they are. What will become of them? What will become of them? And what will become of us in this process? And yes, The desire to lead is often a good and necessary thing for our society, but we need to always remain forewarned that leadership and authority is only able to truly succeed if a person is first filled with the humility and the meekness and the lowliness of Christ. The message for you and me from these words is simple, but it's demanding. We must not reach for it. We must not grasp for our own personal greatness. But instead, you and I need to humble ourselves and allow God to be the one who lifts us up. Let me say it again. You and I must be humble and allow God to be the one who lifts us up into the positions of leadership and authority. And then we'll succeed in what we do. These words as we close. James chapter 4 we read humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up and in first Peter chapter 5 we read all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time let's pray oh dear father We confess that we have this pride running through our veins. Yes, we want to be more than we are. And while we might criticize others as they exercise that same desire, we ourselves are subject to this same sin of pride. Help us to humble ourselves before you, Lord, and allow you to lift us up. We pray in Jesus' precious name.